In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Salt Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, well, the example of baseball not being boring in the offseason, there is no better example than just go over to New York, go over to the Mets offices, go over to watch Steve Cohen, sit back in his chair and be like, <laughs> hey, baseball, look what I'm doing. Wouldn't you like to do what I'm doing? And every fan out there would say, yes, yes. And I know that one person speaks for everybody out there. And Mark Luino of the Mets Up podcast uh, one of Odyssey's great, great family of baseball podcasts. And, Mark, I mean, see, I, I paid the picture of Steve Cohen sitting back in his chair, just, you know, smoking a cigar or whatever. Oh, listen, every Mets fan must be like, what? what is happening? This is, sure, he comes in and says he's going to do this or do this, but we've seen this in baseball, and something gets in the way, and maybe you get one guy, maybe you get two guys, but holy crap. I mean, it's just a wave of guys, Mark. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty unbelievable, especially, you know, for me in my 26 years of being a Mets fan. I've seen the Mets have some years of success and I've I've seen bits and pieces here, but it's never been like this. Uh, I've been dying for the Mets to spend money like they have this past season. We saw them spend last year. It's unbelievable having an owner who wants to invest money into the team strictly for the goal of winning a championship. It's awesome. So in you, you're, you're not unlike almost every baseball fan, even in the big markets. I mean, the, you look at across the way, the Yankees fans, they went through the world of the Steinbrenner, the, 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 the big Steinbrenner, not little Steinbrenners. Yeah. <laughs> and they went through that world and there was an acceptance. And I think there still was a, a semblance of that. But then you start hitting luxury taxes and, wait, the Yankees can't do this, the Yankees can't do that. Everyone's saying, what What are you talking about? The Yankees can do anything. They've always done everything. But so even you have that, you I don't know if we've had anything like this. And, and to juxtapose it against another team, too, where you have the San Diego Padres sort of taking the same example. It's kind of nuts, Mark. It's kind of, yeah. it's, it's, it's great for baseball, though. No, it's awesome for baseball. I don't know if you saw, but there was an article in the New York Post about um, Steve Cohen talking about the luxury tax. And basically, he was saying something along the lines of he's been dealing with such big amounts of money for such a long time now that the luxury tax isn't even like on his radar. He's like, hey, that that doesn't really mean anything to me because of the the size of money that he's been dealing with outside of baseball in his normal life. <laughs> so, I mean, hearing that for me, I'm like, yes, this is this is it. This is the owner I've always wanted. And <laughs> you know what? It's cool because he came in as a, I mean, he's a businessman. Obviously, sure. he's made a lot of money, but he's also a fan and he's showing that like, yeah, OK, last year was a good season, but we got to do more. A hundred wins and making the playoffs isn't enough. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, not to keep bringing up the Padres, but it's the same sort of feeling. Like, we're going to spend until we get it right. And the Padres creep a little closer. The Mets creep a little clo- closer. But but you're right about the luxury tax thing. I think that we see these teams tie themselves into knots year after year after year. Oh, we finally made it, and we can go over the luxury tax. And at the end of the day, you get the figures like, you have to pay what? Oh, in, oh, a couple draft picks? What, whatever, man. Like, either you want to win the World Series or you don't. Yeah. And I think the Dodgers were sort of the first team to do that. You know, like the USA Today comes out with the payrolls yeah. and, 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 the, and the luxury tax figures. And the Dodgers, I think it was after they won the World Series maybe, and everyone's like, wait a second. Doesn't it feel like the winning the World Series is a whole lot more important than paying like $10 million? Yeah, especially with the money that gets generated from the postseason. Like, if you want to talk about bringing in money, I feel like the Phillies are also a good example of that, too. You saw them make it to the World Series, and they went out and got Trey Turner, spent even more money, Taiwan Walker. Like, the investment that you make in spending on your team to be successful seems like it comes back pretty instantly with postseason success. So, did you have any skepticism when it came to Cohen? Like, he comes in, everyone feels good about He's the fan. He's the guy. He's a rich fan. And he's going to spend the money. But then you're like, eh, is this really going to happen? Um, and what, if, if there was any skepticism, when did it turn for you? Was it, was it you know, Lindor? Was it, what was, what was it? When did it sort of turn and say, hey, you know what? This guy does mean that he all he wants to do is win and spend money. Yeah, I think there was definitely a little skepticism, not because I didn't believe him, but more so because I've been hurt so many times <laughs> as a Mets fan that I just, I have trust issues. There's no doubt about it, but... I think Lindor and giving him that extension before he even played a game was like, oh, that's that's something the Mets wouldn't have done before. But it was Francisco Lindor. It was a no brainer. Like the guy is one of the best shortstops in baseball. You felt like that was the right baseball decision, regardless of what kind of owner you had. But I think it really showed last year in particular when he just got Max Scherzer. They lost Mm -hmm. out on Steven Matz. Seemed like he kind of went scorched earth and he made all those moves, ending it with Max Scherzer. And you're like, oh. He really does not care about the money. He, he, he liked Max Scherzer as a player. He saw him terrorize the Mets in the division for years and years. And he's like, that's the guy I want. I'm going to pay him whatever he wants. And to see that happen, that's when I went, oh, Steve Cohen, he doesn't play games. He's a boss out here. So so when the season ends and the, you don't get the ultimate goal and you do have Scherzer on the team and you do have Lindor on the team, what is the feeling? And, and, and by the way, DeGrom is up for free agency. What is the feeling of Mets fans when the season and especially watching the Phillies? But what is this? What is the feeling? Is the feeling that he's going to do exactly what he did, which is, hey, you know what? We're going to figure this out and spend a crap load of money. Or was this the ah, this is getting a little uncomfortable because we, we spent all this money. We made these acquisitions and we still fell short. Yeah, I think a lot of Mets fans felt a little bit skeptical coming into this offseason still, even with what happened in the previous year, just because, like you said, like the roster was good, but how much more money is he really going to spend? How much can he spend? And is it going to be on DeGrom? Is it going to be on Nimmo? Is it going to be on a Verlander? You know, there was a lot of good players available this free agency and a lot of guys that the Mets had to bring back. I mean, even spending $20 million a year on Edwin Diaz was something that the Mets had to do. So I think that for me, I felt confident in what mm. the Mets were going to be able to do. I felt confident that Steve Cohen was going to give Billy Epler the tools and the money to go out and make a good team again, just because it feels like it would defeat the purpose of signing a Max Scherzer and giving him all that money if you're not going to try and capitalize the years that he's actually here. So I wasn't ever worried. It was just more so trying to figure out exactly what the plan was. But I do think most Mets fans probably 
are a little bit again like we we have trust issues so until the guy <laughs> proves it it's really really hard to believe him but I feel like now you can't be at the point where you don't think that Steve Cohen's going to do whatever he can to make. Yeah, the and, and the only the only sort of caveat really is that you have other teams that are good. You know, yes. this is the thing, and and we had this great conversation. I mean, I'm going to call it a great conversation, but whatever. Um, I'll just I'm defining it as a great conversation, which is which is the best division. You know, and, and really, like what what top end of these divisions is the best division? So you have. The National League West, you have the Padres, you have the Giants, the Dodgers, you have the NL East, you have, you know, obviously the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves. You have even the AL West where you have Houston, um, Texas, who got DeGrom. I don't know if you know that, but they got <laughs> yeah. DeGrom. And um, and then, um, who am I? Oh, Seattle. So, you know, Seattle's right there. And then the American League East, which, you know, you, in, in a bizarre, in, in all kinds of different ways, you can say that's a really, really strong division. But uh, so I guess before I go on, just because I just brought this up, which do you think is is the best? I think the American League East is probably the hardest to win just because every team kind of outside the Red Sox is really a playoff contender. I think the Orioles, especially being good last year and looking like a team that's going to be competitive, makes it a lot tougher, especially with the Blue Jays and the Rays being good as well. And the Yankees being probably the best team there, Um, just top to bottom, they're the strongest, but. Like the the National League East is probably the most top heavy, I think I would say, with the Mets, Braves, and Phillies mm. all being teams that are definitely World Series contenders right now. And I think no one would be surprised if any three of those teams were the National League representative in the next World Series. It is awesome, you know, thinking about, you know, and I'm not even gonna say Epler versus Dombrowski, it's more Cohen versus Dombrowski, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I was thinking about that, about um, you know, in Boston. Going back, you know, Theo Epstein was obviously he's probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame, and he was he, he was tasked at one year when the year they got Carl Crawford and John Lackey, the ownership just came in and said, "Hey, listen, just go get those guys," and they just blew everybody away, especially for Crawford. I feel kind of like that's where Epler's sitting a little bit, where like here, you know, we get the money, just go get the job done. Whereas, and so when you come back to it, it is the ownership. I mean, we have plenty of examples in baseball where you have smart GMs who would love to say, hey, give me, just give me a piece of what Cohen's dishing out. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think that, you know, that that's, it is going back to the division, the, the Cohen versus Dombrowski slash Middleton, whatever. I mean, you don't, you just don't get that. And that's, no. that's so awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah, like I, I like to complain because I'm like, uh, finally, we have a sick Mets team and the owner's <laughs> spending a ton of money. And so are the Phillies and so are the Braves and so are the Padres. Like every good team, it feels like finally in baseball is making that push of like being good isn't good enough. We have to be the best. And I like that. That's really good for baseball. It's good for competition. And like coming off of those crazy CBA negotiations last year. It's refreshing to see that the teams are spending, which is good. Oh, we we've talked about this. I mean, Mark, four let's say three or four years ago, certainly five years ago, after the first CBA, not this one, there was I remember sitting there and talking to JD Martinez, like 80% of the teams aren't even trying. Yep. And you know, he probably wasn't that far off because he said we prioritize everything the wrong way in the last CBA. We prioritize bus rides and schedules. And we're getting screwed in free agency and teams. There was the, the the C word being thrown around collusion, and there was nowhere near this type of money. And by the way, 
players were, and this is another interesting part of this, players were were taking extensions left and right because they didn't think they were going to get it in free agency. And, and look at like Mookie Betts with Dodgers mark. I mean, Mookie was asking for 400 and then the pandemic hits. He's like, oh, I'm worried about where things are going, so I'll settle for 365. Think about what he would make in this mark. Holy crap. It's a steal. It's a steal. I mean, you, you look at that contract, you look at all the contracts the young Braves guys have signed. Or yeah. just like, how how do they keep getting away with this? I mean, some of the contracts are crazy. I, I feel like even talking about like Machado and Harper when they hit free agency and how long it took for teams to just sign them in general and give them $300 million when you watch these guys play and they're clearly on the track to be Hall of Fame type players. Yeah, it's, it is. A, that's another good point. We're sitting here right before Christmas. And we've had you. you know, I want to get to the press conferences that you went to, but we've had press conferences. All the top tier free agencies, a free agent, free agents have basically come off the board. I think MLB trade rumors, the top one right now is Nathan Avaldi, and he's at like twenty three or something like that. And and a couple of years ago, we were leaking into January, we we're leaking into February, and it sucked. Like we had last year, the whole lockout, the debt that a built-in deadline. I was like, this is awesome, but we're gonna go back to this this year. But 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 here you go. I mean, all the business of free agent business is done. And that so that leads me to sort of, you know, you you have you've had these um press conferences. Uh and I do want to get sort of the dynamic of that. Like I love some good dy- some good press conference talk. We had Rich Hill on to talk about the uh, the anatomy of uh, winter meetings press conferences, which we never we get like one a year, but um, the first thing I though I want to ask you, but we we also did a thing on Verlander versus Degrom, and I think this is sort of a good conversation for you. Um, you obviously saw Jake Degrom. Uh, you know what's what when it comes to everything that he delivers on the field, off the field. Now you probably have a pretty good idea what you're getting in, in Justin Verlander. If you had to. If, if, I, I mean, I guess you would pick for. I don't know if you're going to pick Verlander because you just did a press conference <laughs> with him. But tell, is it close? I mean, if, if, if before this offseason, honestly, wh- who would you have taken? So I, I do like a ranking every single year on all these positions on my YouTube channel. And oh, so you have to do it. So you so, have yeah, to So I have yourself. to make a decision. I have to make a decision. I've I've done my starting pitcher rankings. It hasn't come out, but Jacob deGrom is my number one pitcher in okay. baseball. Um, I think talent-wise, he is the most talented. And I don't necessarily like to project injuries for a guy. And I feel like if both guys have a healthy year, Jake DeGrom should be the better pitcher. That being said, we know that's not how baseball works. And Jake DeGrom hasn't thrown many innings in the last two, three seasons. So I think you have the reliability. Verlander coming off of Tommy John, looking as good as he did, might be a safer bet because you Mm. know what you're going to get with him. Where DeGrom, if healthy, you have the best pitcher in baseball. So that's kind of like the political answer I like to give a little bit. I like it, though. There's there's both sides of the coin, um, but you can't go wrong with either. I feel like that's okay. One game, down to. one game, one game, one, one game. Jacob Degrom is probably still my pick, just because. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he's, in, he's unreal. Yeah, it, I mean that's what people forget. Yeah, you know he had a little bit of a of a hiccup this past year, um, but we caught up with um, with Matt Legend uh, Rick Porcello a few <laughs> weeks ago. And, uh, and you know, it's funny because Rick has a great perspective. This guy, no one's pitched with more good pitchers than him. It's crazy, yeah. right? Scherzer and Verlander and DeGrom. But he was like, DeGrom is just different. Like, yeah. he's like, DeGrom was the best. Like, best in terms of stuff and everything else. So, 
I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you're fair, even though you're buddies with Justin Verlander now. <laughs> I'm glad that you're fair. So yeah, no, I mean, listen, if Justin's listening, he's he's my pick now. He's on the Mets, ride or die. <laughs> but you know, I think I think even you know he would understand Jacob Degrom's pretty unbelievable. It is a testament to Verlander, though, when you talk about durability, that you picking the guy who's creeping into his forties. Yeah. So, but that's, I mean, yeah, that's a testament to him. And that's why he gets the contract that he did. So you had a couple of press conferences. You have Kodai Senga and you have Justin Verlander. First of all, do you like press conferences? Uh, I personally don't care about them. I think the way that they're done, it's not even necessarily like anything wrong with it, but it's just like for me coming from the content world, I think it's just relatively lazy content that's being made like, the reporters ask the same questions every single time to the same guys every single time. And you get the same generic answers because you go through PR and you just get kind of groomed into what is the appropriate response that you should give. So you never really get anything. I feel like that's that juicy really, or that interesting. Uh, I I think there's a way that they could be better. Um, and I understand that they have to be done, but really at the end of the day, Hey, Justin Verlander, how does it feel to sign with the Mets? I'm happy. Like, what is he going to say? Oh, I hated it. I wish I didn't have to do this. Like, no one ever gives you a sound clip that makes you feel like, ah, that was such a great question, I feel like. So uh, what would you do? I mean, that begs the question. What? How would, how would uh, Mark's press conference look like? I feel like you almost don't really have to do one. I feel like I, I love I love the putting on the jersey thing. Like, to me, I think that's really cool. That's worth it in yep. itself is like the photo op. But at the same time, you're getting the questions to try and get headlines. And to me, I feel like it, talking to these guys more about the type of pitcher that they are or what goes through their mindset or just a little bit more about themselves is more interesting to me as a fan rather than, hey, uh, how excited are you to be playing for this team? I'm, I'm super excited. Like that's every I could have told you what he's going to say today. <laughs> and, and then do they I mean, for a lot of them, they break guys off and they do the little scrums and on the side or whatever but still i think that everybody's guard is up everyone you know you you have the spouses there yeah. you have the agents there you and I, you, you hit the nail on the head the uniform hey let me see you in a uniform oh my goodness i didn't know he would look like that in a men's <laughs> uniform that is fantastic you look so good um yeah so that is uh that is a uh, you're very very well put so uh, when you have these two press conferences and, you know, you obviously Kodai Singh is a little bit different because you have a translator and, and I know that he did exactly what Yoshida did with the Red Sox. He spoke a little bit of English, which everyone appreciates. Um, but, you know, when you look at, uh, I would imagine that you know what Justin Verlander looks like. You've heard yes. Justin Verlander talk, but we don't, we, we didn't, we didn't really know what Kodai Senga looked like, right? I mean, am I wrong? That there was more intrigue with the Senga press conference. Yeah, for sure. I think it was cool to get his first impression of what it's like, especially in New York, because the media in New York, as we know, is just, uh, it's a madhouse there. So it was really cool to see how he interacted with the room of reporters, because that's definitely something that he's not accustomed to. See what his confidence levels looked like, how he spoke, what his mannerisms were. Um, and I, I feel like everything was good. I Everyone talked about his, that he was a very confident player in Japan. I don't want to say outspoken, but he was very like forward thinking and he wanted mm -hmm. to try different things. He wanted to get better. And you kind of got that same feel with the Mets that like, I'm, I'm here to be a good pitcher. I'm not here to be that Japanese guy. That's a part of this rotation that brings in Japanese fans. I'm here because I'm good. 
and I'm going to pitch and I'm going to shove on the mound for you. And did, I, did, I like seeing that. Did he say so? He's the one guy of oh, very few guys that the perception was, oh, well, he didn't really like break the bank like a lot of people thought he would. Now, I know why. Um, because they're, you know, the industry, there's murmurs about, you know, some physical issues or whatever, but we'll see. I mean, I've seen that a million times and yeah. five years later, they're fine. But, but that was the one guy that sort of, did he say like, they, okay, this is why I picked the Mets. Could I imagine other teams came close? So we got to interview him on our own for our podcast, um, like separately after the press conference. So we kind of took a lot of what he said and tried to build off of that. And one of the things that he mentioned was not necessarily talking about why exactly the Mets, but why he wanted to go to Major League Baseball. And it was that he's always wanted to get better. And he he started off as a developmental league guy, I believe, mm-hmm. in Japan, which is kind of unheard of to even be as good as he was in Japan coming from that route. So he's kind of been a guy who's always wanted to prove himself. And I think he saw New York as a major market, one of the biggest in the entire world, and was like, if there's no better place for a winning team, talked about that too he's like the, they're they're winning i want to be on a winning team i don't want to waste my time hmm. so winning i want to prove myself there's no better way to do it than in new york that's all right that's fair so you did the podcast with sanga you did the podcast with verlander too right correct yes all right so when it, i i want a teaser I, you know not that you need a teaser for either one i mean i think that you could just put their names up and people are going to listen to them and knowing you guys do a great job with it but uh you know so you mentioned sanga with verlander uh, what was your what was your takeaway? Was there something that you're like, Ooh, you know, uh, it did and, and did and the other part about this is, you know, with, with any podcast, you know, as well as anyone, when the what, what's great about podcasts is you can sit back in the rocking chair and you get them. Hey, this isn't. Hey, just we're just a couple guys chopping it up, man. Yep, it's okay. Did you did you feel like you got to that space with Verlander? Uh, I think we got close. I think it was a little bit tough because of, you know, it was a press conference day, like you said. So I think you're just kind of in that that mode already of like buttoned up. I'm going to give I have my prepared answers. I'm going to say, but we like to joke with the guys a little bit, like as they're sitting down and putting on the mics and just try and be like, hey, we're not like everybody else in media. We want to have fun. We want you to relax, like take it easy. And he definitely was super personable, super nice. And the thing that really stuck out or stuck out to me when we talked to him was we brought up. He's probably the closest pitcher to winning 300. Could be one of the last guys to get to that 300 yeah, wins. Point. So what did he think about that? And he mentioned how he's not really a goal-oriented guy because he feels like if you hit a goal, then you can become um, you know, complacent. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't want to be complacent. I want to keep getting better. I love pitching. I don't want to stop anytime soon. And that's why I've been able to do it so well late into my career. And that was one thing to me. I was like, yep. This guy's different. Like mm. you through talking to players and through, you know, talking to different guys in baseball, you hear answers. And that's when you don't hear from a lot of people. And the guys that you do, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, and you go, hey, Hall of Fame type players. Makes sense. You've had a ton of good guests in your podcast. But before the year is over, now that you have this relationship with Verlander, I want the Verlander Kate Upton podcast. And, yeah. and I'm not just saying that just so you're like, Kate Upton's next to me. No, <laughs> no, I, I like, I'm sincerely sort of, intrigued by you know that level of fame with those two we have examples the 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 be-all end-all example in the history of baseball is joe dimaggio and marilyn monroe right i mean but it it is interesting to me like there's a lot to go through and you can even go to the series where you know you have verlander flipping people off you have kate opt-in flipping people that that would be a great podcast wouldn't it 
that that alone when Kate Upton flipped off the Phillies fans like one I I hate Philadelphia and the Phillies so much so that to me I was like ah she's she's the best like she's ride or die for her husband and she's flipping off the Philly fans love that now that they're with the Mets I'm like she's gonna get standing ovations if they show her on like the scoreboard and their their life has to be so interesting like that's what I mean right yeah, I would love to hear. I would love to hear them talk about like what goes on on their day to day. Well, I did. I, I have. I can't talk about it here, but I did talk to Porcello once about a double date he went on with those okay, two, okay. Which, which is a which is the after hours podcast. Yes. Um, so, uh, but it's that's you know that's a great one. So, speaking of guests on podcasts, before we get to sort of the guys that they've other guys that they've acquired, who's the who who are the guys on this team that you like? This is this is my go to. This is my the most interesting. And I can and having covered him, I know one. And I don't know if you've had an arm or not with Ottavino, who yes. disagreed. Um, and you know, he's here's a here's a, so did you have you guys had him on? Uh, we haven't had him on for a full interview. We did some like quick questions with him on the field for like TikTok type content, and even then, he gave right. us some of the most interesting answers that you could ever imagine. And he walks around barefoot in the outfield before yeah. the game. He is. It's it's shocking he's not lefty. That's what I want to say. Like he should, <laughs> the fact that he's not a lefty is mind blowing because he's he's out there. It's it's and even with the, that short time, I'm sure he did this where he pauses. He sort of looks up. Yep. And like, what are you doing? But he's thir- he's actually searching for the the honest, insightful answer. Yeah. And that's why and that's why I appreciate because all these you know so many guys are so quick with a canned answer, but. I bet you know he he's a good one to come back. So congratulations on getting Matt on it. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy that he's back. He was so great for us. He was really good. Yeah, that's yeah. the other part about it, yeah. right? Yeah, and hopefully get to talk to him more because yeah. there's there's gold mine there and what what's going on in his head. Is how is Vogelbach? Did you have him on? Haven't spoken to him yet, uh, just because last year when he came, it was like such a tight race with the Mets that we weren't yeah. really trying to bother too I many guys. I see him run, running around in Christmas sweaters. I kind of wanted to talk to him. You know, so, he looks like a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. I've, I've seen him on other podcasts and just in general talking, and he seems like he seems like a dude. Who's your, who was your favorite guy? Now, this is the year, the messed up year in review. Uh, <laughs> this is the preview. I don't know if you're doing one of those episodes, but give me your best, your your, your most favorite interview, your best guest. Favorite interview, Max Scherzer, no doubt. Okay. Uh, we got like a good 15 minutes with him. And I think if the game wasn't getting ready to start, he would have talked to us for another hour nonstop. Uh, so insightful, so smart. The way he thinks about baseball is so different than a lot of other guys. And the way that he gave the answers, kind of like you said with Ottavino, mm. he wasn't just giving us the you know boilerplate run-of-the-mill answer. He was really giving us what he thought. And he talked about the pitch clock and the way he describes his thought process and how he goes about the game and his preparation, you can see that he's obsessed. He's obsessed and he really does put a lot of time and thought into every single thing he does. And he was really cool and really personable, which is always so shocking for these guys who in my head, I've been watching since I'm young and he's a superstar. I'm like, he asked me my name. He introduced, hi, I'm Max Scherzer. Oh, I know who you are. You don't have to introduce yourself. That's, that's awesome. Well, I mean, you have some good guys, man. Like Lindor seems like he's a good personality. Um, yeah, would love to talk to him someday. Like, I mean, yeah. Pete. Pete's probably my number one guy. I really want to get to talk to just because he has so much fun playing the game. And I think, like, especially for like the younger generation, he's a guy you can just attach to because you know you see some of the players out there, like Julio Rodriguez is 
ripped. He's jacked. Pete, Pete just looks like a normal guy who just hits, mm. hits absolute moonshots. And squats uh, like a million pounds. Yeah, exactly. Between, yeah. He's really bats. Very relatable and he has fun. Like, that's awesome. So, uh, you know, the, we talked about some of the guys that the Mets got. And you look at, I was looking at the depth chart. You know, yeah, sure. You have Verlander and you have, um, you have Edwin Diaz. And then it just keeps on going. You know, Nimmo's coming back. Ottavino, um, Carrasco. Um, um, who am I missing? Uh, oh, what is the other starting pitcher? Well, obviously Senga, but Quintana. Um, yes, yes, exact Quintana. Yes, exactly Quintana. Um, so I mean, it, it's and and David Robertson, right? I mean, yes, it's this is incredible. I mean, this is crazy, it, and that's I don't know, man. Like, it, it's so awesome to come back to our original statement. It's so awesome that a team's so loaded. But at the same time, you look across and the Phillies are so loaded and the Braves are so, it's hard, man. It's just the Braves are so loaded. It's and so then, tough. by the way, good luck when you go out west. Those teams are so loaded. It's it's great for baseball. It really is. And I don't know, how do you feel? We've had this conversation a lot on this podcast because of the name of the podcast, I guess. But how did you feel like sort of this year? You've been doing this for a couple of years now. This year, baseball emerge in terms of being interesting i mean i know that's like a very general question but we've talked a lot about like we had um like joe kelly was talking about the the interviews in the dugout and uh, during the world series during the playoffs he's like yeah if you notice when they're doing these interviews and i know some people don't like them because they're intrusive but if you notice nobody's giving these guys a side eye in the dugout it's everyone knows now like, hey, we have to do this for our game. But for your perspective, like someone who's, who's so good at getting the content out and making things interesting, did you feel like baseball got it a little bit more this year? I think they're definitely getting closer. Um, I think it really helped that we had two big record milestone chases going on, too, with Aaron Judge and Pujols. Just because one thing that I thought baseball could always do better is it sounds weird, but like stop marketing the teams and market the players as the mm-hmm. matchup more mm-hmm. so. So like Aaron Judge versus Rafael Devers, like that's, I think, more enticing to a younger fan or most fans in general than Yankees Red Sox. But the idea that, you know, we had like the live watch on Judge going on, the live watch on Pujols every time they came to the plate, whatever you're watching sports wise cut to that, I thought was really, really cool and helped people get back into baseball because baseball, I feel like is at its best when like stories are kind of being told in a way. Mm-hmm. And those were two great stories that happened this year. Plus, you know, the Phillies and their great run late, even as much as I hate them. That was really cool for baseball. Like Harper finally getting some recognition on the national stage a little bit more is really good. As much as I hate that he's on the Phillies, he is <laughs> great for baseball. Like they have so many great players. And I feel like they're finally starting to realize that, like, we got to take advantage of this because baseball is so cool right now and it's only getting better. Well, I think the Harper thing's a good example where you 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 have that player like you and I agree with everything you said. And when you're saying it, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's going in this year. That's what they should do. This guy versus this guy. That's yep. what we should do. I mean, it's not like they're going to get in the middle of the field and fight, but you should almost feel like you're they're going to. But with Harper, not only do you have that guy who you're highlighting, but you have him in that moment. You got that moment from him, and within that moment. Everything about baseball, which is awesome, if everyone takes two seconds to understand, look at that. Look at that at bat. I mean, this is what baseball is about. It's like you have time to think through, think through things, 
you're watching, you're thinking through the pitcher, what he's going to do. You're thinking through Harper, what his bat's going to be. Then a pitch is made. Okay, there now is he setting him up? And, and it goes through it, and then boom, boom. Then you have the moment where the entire crowd rises. I mean, it's like that's – it's you know, this is sort of along the lines of what we just saw in the World Cup, right? Yep. I'm not a soccer guy, but I can see, okay, this play is developing. It's developing. It's developing. Boom. There it is. But, uh, yeah, and I think people are understanding or understood that a little bit more in large part because – because you do have better access to it in yes. pitching ninja, right? You would also what you guys, yeah, unbelievable, right? Yeah, and, that was uh, that was what I was gonna bring up too. Is that I think a lot of the guys, like I mean, like us, anyone who's making content about baseball, just whether it's their job or they just enjoy to do it as a hobby, I think that's also helping too. Because one of the problems that baseball's had, as we know, with some stuff, has been access with getting access to fans. Yeah. It's a very regional sport, so the fact now that you can make a podcast or you can make a YouTube video or you could live stream your reaction watching a game and anybody anywhere can watch it, I think is so great for the sport. It just makes it more accessible to more eyes. Well, I, I wouldn't make the argument, you know, and I came up as a reporter and, you know, I make the argument that, that you know, yeah, we all like breaking news, right? We all like yeah. talking about breaking news. But if you're talking about the value, what a company is valuing, it's not going to be like breaking news. It just isn't because you know what? Two seconds later, someone's going to confirm it and you'll get your attaboys from everybody else. But to do something like you guys do, um, whether it's on YouTube or TikTok or whatever it is, that's more impactful for a company. Like it is. Yeah. I feel that way anyway. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, doing content about baseball full time for my job is a dream come true. So the fact that you know, like I can, I see other people doing it as well is really cool. Like I want, I want everybody in the baseball community to come up. Like it's who doesn't want to do this for their job. It's the best. <laughs> right. And and, is it, and the great thing about it is that you don't have to say, I'm going to go work for a small newspaper than a little bit bigger newspaper than a little bit bigger newspaper. No, you can, you can find like, honestly, you know, in our company, we work for the same company. It's, it's, we should be looking, we should be scouring who is who is marketing things? Who is doing things in in college? And uh, and you're looking at resumes a whole different way. And, and speaking of, you mentioned TikTok before. Um, we had a guy from Savannah Bananas on, and yeah, yeah. and you know, and I think that you know Savannah Bananas obviously, you know, <laughs> they're not going to take on the Mets. No, <laughs> but, but but what they're doing is they're high landing. That's another thing I think helped let baseball take a step forward. I honestly do believe the Savannah Banana helped baseball take a step forward this year because everyone said, hey, you know what? That's the extreme. But yeah, it shows what what's in there, what's fun. And the the number that jumped out at me, Mark, was the fact is that they had last check, they had 3.7 million TikTok followers and the highest MLB team, the Yankees had a million. Wow. So you more than tripled the TikTok followers. So if baseball doesn't look at that and say, what are they doing and what can we do? Then they're, they're misguided. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a content game. You got to get as many people seeing, cause like me and you, we've watched baseball. That's how we fell in love with it. Right. Was experiencing and watching it. So if you can get more people to have that experience or maybe want to get that experience, like you do with the Savannah bananas, it's only good for the sport. It's only good. So speaking of what's good for the sport, the Mets, the Mets are good for the sport. In, in yes. synopsis, <laughs> you must feel good, man. You must feel good about things. It's yeah, it's it's it's, it's it would it's tough 
uh, covering a crappy team. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I had a few years where I was doing some YouTube stuff and I was like, man, when the Mets are bad, I just I'm not having as much fun. I'm still I'm still watching every game. I'm still enjoying it, but it does become a little tougher. And when the team's good, it's really hard to do you, not do have you like get a the time. sense. Do you get the do you get the sense of people are jumping in people? I mean, what? Oh, yeah. I, and, and this is the thing is that sometimes, especially in places, New York and bigger markets, when there's drama, when there's chaos, yeah, you know, that can be equally as good for business. But I would imagine that this is even for a guy like you, this is better for business, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, like I've been able to convert a couple of my friends who like either didn't like baseball or rooted for another team. They're now Mets fans. They live in the city like I'm, I'm hopping on the Mets bandwagon because they're fun. They're exciting. Their owner's cool and spending money. That's that's what people are drawn to is the excitement. It's entertainment at the end of the day. Awesome. Well, you're doing a great job. I appreciate you being the voice of the most popular fan base <laughs> out there, or the most fortunate fan base anyway. Yeah, definitely so. most fortunate right now. But all right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Rob.